Good evening, church. Thanks for joining us here tonight. We uh, appreciate uh, you welcoming um, us into your home. Man, I can't say that. But thank you for allowing us into your homes tonight, and we just are very grateful. Uh, we love you all, and I speak for myself and Pastor Jackie. We can't wait until uh, we can open the doors and get back to fellowship and, and coming together. So uh, thank you. Tonight we'll be going through the rest of Jonah. How many of you guys uh, were with us last week? All right, we got a couple hands. Perfect. Um, so uh, Jonah in the first chapter uh, was more about his rebellion. He was given a mission from the Lord, and it wasn't that he didn't understand it. He just did the total opposite of what the Lord had him do. So he he rebelled from the Lord, and we all know the story. He, he ran the opposite direction, got on a ship, had a terrible storm, got thrown off, and um, is swallowed up by a big fish. And that's where, that's where we're going to pick up tonight. So if you'll jo- join me in uh, Jonah chapter 2, and we'll read all the way through to the end of chapter 4. So then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you hear my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All the waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I say, I am driven away. For your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey into it. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and took on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. 
Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would bring to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this what I said when I, yet, when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relating from disasters, relenting from disasters. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out, to the, went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that, the might, that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? And also much cattle. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to just be able to uh, have access to your word. The opportunity to have access to live stream, to be able to share and, and to just get to know you better. Lord, I pray tonight that your words will be heard and they'll fall on eager ears, Lord, and just pray you open our minds and our hearts, Lord. Give me the words to speak here tonight, Lord. And I just thank you for your people. Thank you for all those people that are here uh, making this possible. The, the Turners and Jonathan and the worship team, Lord. I just thank you for all those. In uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we begin, um, we go into the second chapter. And this is more of a chapter about repentance. Um, like I said, the first chapter, Jonah was rebelling. He was going the wrong way. But if Lord has a mission for you, he's going to get you to do it. And for Jonah, he had to be in the belly of the beast in order to accept his role, accept his calling, to accept um, what the Lord had for him. So uh, we go from an attitude of rebellion and discipline Jonah turns into an attitude of repentance 
and dedication. And where is Jonah when he does this? He's in the belly of the beast, right? He's in the fish, and he's there for a time. Um, It says three days and three nights. To me, hopefully, I would learn faster than that. But some people, it takes a little time, right? Probably take me five days. Who knows? Um, But for Jonah, it took him three days to repent and say, Okay, Lord, um, I give up. You win. And here's my prayer. Here's my asking for forgiveness. And here's me saying, I, I accept the challenge. No doubt Jonah expected to die in the waters. But when he found himself inside the fish, he realized that God had spared him. As with the prodigal son, who Jonah resembles in their rebellion, it was the goodness of God that brought him to repentance. The goodness of God that brought him to repentance. If it was up to Jonah, he would just run from God the rest of his days, right? And then what would happen to Jonah when his time ended? Right? Would he still find himself in heaven or would he perish to, to hell? So it was God's love that actually brought Jonah back on track. Sometimes God's love doesn't seem so loving. Right, Being stuck in a fish probably doesn't seem too loving. But on the other hand, it stopped Jonah from running. Right? Our, our pastor, we all know his testimony, and if you don't, you should listen to it. Um, he had to get a deadly disease for him to come back to the Lord. Um, some of us have to be on our deathbed to come to the Lord. And at the time, it seems brutal, but really it's a God's love putting us back on our path to get to where he wants us. And so let's notice the stages in Jonah's spiritual experience as described in his prayer. Let's go to Jonah 2. Verses 1 and 2. Then it says, Then Jonah prayed, suggesting that it was the end of the three days and three nights when Jonah turned to the Lord for help. There's a lot of ways we can look at the three days and three nights. Um, It probably wasn't 72 hours. The way the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people at this time kept track was if part of one day would count as one day, and then you could have a full day, and a part of another day would count as another full day. So it could have been as little as 26 hours up to 72 hours, but the time really isn't what's important. It's that he came to repentance. Now let's look at his prayer. His prayer wasn't a rejoiceful prayer. It was a prayer out of affliction, not affection. He cried out to God because he was in danger. Right? He didn't cry out to God joyfully. Right? He cried out because he delighted. Well, he was scared, not because he delighted in the Lord. However, in spite of the fact, he still prayed. It doesn't matter why you pray or, or the conditions. It just matters that you do pray. And so Jonah still wasn't happy with the will of God. In chapter 1, he was afraid of the will of God and rebelled against it. But now he wants God's will simply because it's the only way out of this dangerous situation. Like too many people today, Jonah saw the will of God as something to turn to in an emergency, not something to live by every day of one's life. And 
Sometimes that's what it takes to get us back on track is an emergency. So Jonah was now experienced what the sailors experienced during the storm. He felt he was perishing, right? The sailors did everything they could to save themselves from the storm. They threw off all the cargo. They rowed as hard as they could. They worshipped their gods and still nothing. They even threw a man overboard to, uh, to stop from perishing. It's good for God's people, and especially those who uh, teach the word of God, to remember what it's like to be lost and without hope. One thing I really enjoy about Pastor Jackie is he'll tell you that we're all broken. And uh, it's good to remember that. Sometimes if we get too prideful, too arrogant, we forget where we came from, right? We forget what brought us to the Lord, or we forget what the bottom really looks like. And um, it's not a good place to be. Or how easy it is for us to grow hardened towards sinners and lost our compassion for the lost. He also, as he dropped Jonah into the depth, God was reminding him of what the people of Nineveh were going through in their sinful condition. They were hopeless and they were lost. Without God, we are hopeless and we are lost. God heard Jonah's cry for help. Prayer is the one of the constant miracles of the Christian life. To think that our God is so great, he can hear the cries of millions of people at the same time and deal with their personal needs. He hears all our prayers. He who has listened to prayer He who has learned to pray has learned the greatest secret of a holy and happy life. So let's move on to verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. The sailors didn't cast Jonah into the storm. It was God who did it. Right? God was the one who said, okay, Without him coming over, we're going to continue this storm, right? He just used the sailors in order to get Jonah where he needed to be for the Lord to continue to use him. So now, how we respond to discipline determines how much benefit we receive from it. According to Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, we have several options. When we get disciplined, there's, there's several things that we can do. We can resist discipline and invite stronger discipline, possibly even death. Or we can submit to the Father and mature in faith and love. Discipline is to the believer what exercise and training are to athletes. It enables us to run the race with endurance and reach the assigned goals. There's one thing... Uh, I know Pastor Jason and Pastor Jackie both say is when they go to discipline their children, not so much Pastor Jackie anymore, his boys are pretty big, um, he just told them to assume the position, right? And, and if they obeyed to that, the discipline would be light. But if you fight, the discipline is going to be harder. And that's what the Lord says here in Hebrews, you know. 
We can de despise God's discipline and fight, but it's just going to be worse. And so the fact that God chastened his servant is proof that Jonah was truly a child of God. For God disciplines only his own children. But if you are without chasing, or which all have been partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. That's verse 8. And the further chastising us in love, so that afterwards we might enjoy the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now verses 4 through 7. Jonah was going in one direction only, right? He was going down, uh, and he turned his back on God. That's the only way you can go once you turn your back on God. In fact, he had been going in that direction since the hour he rebelled against God's plan for his life. If you can remember in chapter 1, he went down to Joppa. He went down into the sides of the ship, and he was going down to the bottom of the mountains. And at some point... The great fish met him, and he went down into the fish's belly. When you turn your back on God, the only direction you can go is down. We go to uh, chapters 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now Jonah admits that there were idols in his life that robbed him of the blessing of God. An idol is anything that takes away from God the affection and obedience that rightly belongs only to him. So one such idol was Jonah's intense patriotism. Patriotism can be an idol. Um... I'm a patriot. I love my country. But God comes first. Um, sometimes we, we forget that. He was so concerned for the safety and prosperity of his own nation that he refused to be God's messenger to their enemies, the Assyrians. We shall learn from chapter 4 that Jonah was also protecting his own reputation. So Jonah had a few reasons why he didn't want to go. Right? He was scared. He didn't want to help his enemies, and he was afraid he'd ruin his reputation, right? He'd be known as a traitor if he went and uh, gave Jesus to his enemies. Jonah couldn't save himself, and nobody on earth could save him, but the Lord could. For, for salvation is of the Lord. This is a quotation from Psalms 3.8. And Psalms 37, 39. And it is, it is the central declaration in the book. It is also the central theme of the Bible. How wise of Jonah to memorize the word of God. Because being able to quote the scriptures, especially the book of Psalms, gave him light in the darkness and hope in his seemingly hopeless situation. And as we look at the end there at, at verse, uh, verse 8, you know, knowing Scripture, knowing Psalms can take you a long ways, right? Even just to pray will take you um, a long ways. But Jonah, he was praying the Scriptures. He was praying the Psalms. Um, all throughout this section in chapter 2, 
you can see psalms all throughout it. And it is one reason it's good to, you know, get into your word. Start memorizing the Bible. Start having your favorite scriptures. So after Jonah's repentance, we're going to go to his redemption. Jonah chapter 2 verse 10 says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. So the, <laughs> the, the fish vomited. I've never seen a fish vomit, but I'm sure it's not a good sight. Especially being a huge fish like that. What a horrible way for a distinguished prophet to arrive on the shore, right? This, this guy's a man of God. He has a good reputation. And next thing you know, he's being puked out on the side of the, the beach. Jonah was treated like dangerous cargo by the sailors to be thrown overboard. And now he's treated like a foreign substance being hurled out of the fish. But when Jonah ceased to be a obedient prophet, he cheapened himself. He was a prophet of the Lord, he disobeyed, and he became less. He, he became cheaper than he was when he was obe obeying the Lord. So he's the one to blame. We can be sure that he was duly humbled as he again stood on dry land. Yeah, that's one way to be humbled for sure, right? Is you get spewed out of a fish. You're sitting there with no belongings, no possessions. Your skin is probably bleached from the digestive juices inside this, this fish. And he's just standing there all alone. Um, so yeah, not a good place to be. The, sight of, the sign of Jonah is seen in his experience of death burial in the fish, and his resurrection on the third day. And it was the only sign Jesus gave to the nation of Israel at Pentecost. Peter also preached the resurrection in Acts 2, and so did Paul when he preached to the Jews and other nations in Acts 13. In fact, the emphasis in the book of Acts is on the resurrection of Jesus, for the apostles were witnesses of the resurrection. Jonah was now free to obey the Lord and take God's message to Nineveh, but he still had lessons to learn. Now chapter 3. So now Jonah's going to Nineveh. Okay, In these two chapters, we are confronted with four miracles that we should not take for granted. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So this message is almost the same as in chapter 1, but a little bit different. He's calling them to go to Nineveh, but he's not telling them exactly what to say. And that's why I think sometimes the Lord does that to us today. He'll tell us a little bit of what he wants us to do, but he doesn't give us our full story. Because I believe he knew if he did, some of us may run just like Jonah did. If God would have told me 10 years ago that I would be standing here doing a live stream on YouTube, um, speaking 
the truth of the word and teaching young children about Jesus, I would tell you you're crazy, right? I think that's one reason he only gives us a little bit at a time. I know we want the whole story. I know we want to know what do you want me to do two steps from now, but there's a reason that God only gives us a little piece at a time to keep us focused, to keep us um, disobedient to him. And so God met Jonah. We don't know where the fish deposited Jonah, but we do know that wherever Jonah was, the Lord was there. Throughout, throughout Jonah's time of rebellion, God was displeased with Jonah. Same with us. Even with, during our time of rebellion, God's always there. We can turn our back, we can try to hide, but God is always there. And it's up to us to turn back and to find him. So God was displeased with his servant, but he had never once deserted him. It was God who controlled the storm. It was God that prepared the great fish and rescued Jonah from the deep. His promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's in Hebrews 13.5. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Isaiah 43.2. So God spoke to Jonah. After the way Jonah responded to God's voice, and, God, and Jonah turned his back, the Lord gave him a simpler mission. Just go to Nineveh, and then I'll give you a message. So God's commission to Jonah. We don't have to read very far in the Bible to discover that God forgives his servants and restores them to ministry. God is a God of second chances. Right? We can look through the Bible. We'll fi- we find Abraham fled to Egypt where he lied about his wife, but God forgave him and he gave him another chance in Genesis 12. Jacob lied to his father Isaac, but God restored him and used him to build the nation of Israel. Moses killed a man and fled from Egypt, but God called him to be the leader of his people. Even Peter denied the Lord three times, but Jesus forgave him and said, follow me. God in his grace forgives our sins. But God in his governance determines that we shall reap what we sow and that the harvest can be very costly. Jonah paid dearly for the rebellion against the Lord. He spent three days in the the belly of the beast, came out looking weird and, and, and just a mess. So God challenged Jonah. Four times in this book, the book of Jonah, Nineveh is called a great city. It was great in history, having been founded in ancient times by Noah's great-grandson, Nimrod. It was also great in size. Uh, The circumference of the city and the suburbs around it was said to be 60 miles around. And for the Lord's estimate in Jonah 4.11... We can assume that there were probably over 600,000 people living there. Just one of the walls that they uncovered had a circumference of eight miles and boasted 1,500 towers. The city was great in splendor and influence, being one of the leading cities of the powerful Assyrian Empire. It was built near the Tigris River and had the Kosher River running through it. Nineveh was also great in sin. 
For the Assyrians were known far and wide for violence, showing no mercies to their enemies. They impaled live victims on sharp poles, leaving them to roast to death in the desert sun. They beheaded people by the thousands and stacked their skulls up in piles by the city gates. And they even skinned people alive. They respected neither age nor sex and followed a policy of killing babies and young children so they wouldn't have to care for them. It was to the wicked people of this great city that God sent his servant Jonah, assuming him, assuring him that he would give the message to speak. After making preparations, it took Jonah at least a month to travel from his land to the city of Nineveh. And during that trip, he had a lot of time to think. The will of God will never leave you where the grace of God can't keep you. And the power of God cannot use you. And who is, signif- who is rendered for these things? It is of God. 2 Corinthians 2.13 So one of the other miracles is the unparalleled awakening. Verses 3, 3 through 3, 10. From a human perspective, the entire story seems ridiculous, right? Up to this point, we have one man claiming to be a prophet, confronting thousands of people with a strange message, especially a message of judgment to his enemies, how could a Jew who worshipped the true God ever get these idolatrous Gentiles to believe what he was saying? For all he knew, Jonah might end up impaled, skinned alive, or who knows what. But in obedience to the Lord, Jonah went to Nineveh. Verses 3 and 4. Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. When Jonah was one day into the city, he began to declare his message. Forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Throughout Scripture, we find the number forty to seem to identify with testing or judgment. During the time of Noah, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The Jewish spies explored Cana for 40 days. The nation of Israel was tested in the wilderness for 40 years. The giant Goliath taunted the army of Israel for 40 days. And the Lord gave the people of Nineveh 40 days to repent and return from their wickedness. So in the Hebrew text, the message that Jonah had is only four words. Yet God used, or five words, sorry. God used those five words to stir the entire population. From the king on the throne to the lowest peasant in the field, God gave the people 40 days of grace. But they didn't need that long. It happened way faster. We get the impression from the very first time they saw Jonah and heard his message, they paid attention to his message. Word spread quickly throughout the empire and throughout the entire district, and the people humbled themselves by fasting and wearing sackcloth. When the message got to the king, he too did the exact same thing. He immediately repented. He put out a 
uh, order for all the people, including the livestock, to repent, humble themselves, by doing which they put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. Not only did the humans abstain from food and drink, but also the livestock did as well. Let's move to Jonah chapter 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disasters that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So it's pretty amazing how this evil empire just heard five words from this strange-looking man, a Jew, and they immediately changed their hearts. You know, it just takes a few words from God to change other hearts, you know. And, and when we see this, Jonah would have been known as one of the greatest evangelists ever if the story ended right there. But it doesn't, right? We go to chapter 4. After all preaching one message that motivated thousands of people to repent and turn to God was a major accomplishment. But the Lord doesn't look on the outward things. He looks at the heart and weighs the motives. That's why chapter 4 was included in the book, to, the, to reveal the thoughts and intent of Jonah's heart and to expose his sins. Now, Jonah should have been happy that he did a great, miraculous work, right? But he wasn't. If we look in chapter 1, Jonah is like the prodigal son, insisting on doing his own things and rebelling and going his own way. Then in chapter 4, Jonah is like the prodigal son's elder brother, critical, selfish, angry, and unhappy with, with, with what's going on. It isn't enough for God's servants simply to do the master's will. They must do the will of the Lord from the heart. We can find that in Ephesians 6.6. 6. The heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. And that's where Jonah's problem was found. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, But it depleased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Thousands upon thousands of people were saved because of the word of the Lord, and yet he was displeased. Now the remarkable thing is that God tenderly dealt with his sulking servant and sought to bring him back to the place of joy and fellowship. Jonah 1 through 5. For the second time in this account, Jonah prays, but his second prayer was much different than his first prayer. He prayed his best prayer in the worst place, in the fish's belly. He prayed his worst prayer in the best place, at Nineveh, where God was working. His first pray prayer came from a broken heart, but his second prayer came from an angry heart. In his first prayer, he asked God to save him, but in his second prayer, he asked God to take his life. Once again, Jonah would rather die than not have his own way. Jonah was concerned about his reputation, not only before the Ninevites, but also before the Jews back home. His Jewish friends would want to see all of the Assyrians destroyed, 
not just the people of Nineveh. When Jonah's friends found out that he had been the means of saving Nineveh from God's wrath, they could have considered him a traitor. Jonah was a patriot who saw Assyria only as a dangerous enemy to destroy, not as company of repentant sinners to be brought to God. When repentance is more important than character and pleasing others and our friends is more important than pleasing God, then we're in danger of becoming like Jonah and living to defend our prejudice instead of fulfilling our spiritual responsibilities. Jonah had good theology, right? He knew God, but it stayed in his head and never got to his heart. He was so distracted that he wanted to die. God's tender response was to ask Jonah to examine his heart and see why he really was angry. So we go to Jonah chapter 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade. Still, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come upon over Jonah. And it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came and the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that the, he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So for the second time in this book, Jonah abandoned his place of ministry. Right? He left the city. God told him to go to Nineveh. Speak these words. And he sat down in a place east of the city where he could see what would happen. Instead of being inside the city, rejoicing with the people, celebrating with the people, he decided to go outside and to pout. Like the elder brother in the parable, he wouldn't go in and enjoy the feast. He could have could have taught the Ninevites so much more about the true God of Israel. But he preferred to have his own way. What a tragedy it is when God's servants are a means of blessing others but miss the blessing themselves. God knew that Jonah was very uncomfortable sitting there. So what did he do? He gave him a plant. He gave him shade to help him relax, to help him not be so uh, irritated. This made Jonah happy. But the next morning when God prepared a worm to kill the vine, Jonah was unhappy again. The combination of the hot sun and the smoldering desert wind made him want to die even more. As he had done in the depths of the sea, Jonah was reminded, God was reminding Jonah of what it was like to be lost, to be helpless, to be hopeless, to be miserable. Jonah was experiencing a taste of hell as he sat and watched the city. Let's go on to verse 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry from the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, and angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, 
nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their left hand from their right and also much cattle? So again, Jonah is distraught. He's angry. And God is still speaking to Jonah. And Jonah is still listening and answering, even though he's not given the right answer. So unrighteous anger feeds the ego, and it produces the poison of selflessness in the heart. Jonah still had a problem with the will of God, as in chapter 1. His mind understood God's will, but he refused to obey it and took his body in the opposite direction. Chapter 2, Jonah cried out for help, and God rescued him. And he gave his body back to the Lord. Chapter 3, he yielded his will to the Lord and went to Nineveh to preach. But his heart was not yet surrendered to the Lord. Jonah did the will of God, but not with his heart. Jonah had one more lesson to learn. Perhaps the most important of all. In chapter 1, he learned the lesson of God's providence and patience, that you can't run away from God. In chapter 2, he learned the lesson of God's pardon, that God forgives those who call upon him. And in chapter 3, he learned the lesson of God's power as he saw a whole city humble itself before the Lord. Now, he had to learn the lesson of God's power as he saw a whole city humble itself before the Lord. And now he had to learn the lesson of compassion. God has compassion to lost sinners, like those people in Nineveh. And his servants must also have compassion. It seems incredible, but Jonah brought a whole city to faith in the Lord, and yet he didn't love the people he was preaching to. The people who could not discern between their left and their right hand meant that they were immature, like children. The population was not small, and God certainly has a special concern for children. But whether children or adults, the Assyrians all needed to know the Lord. God had pity on the vine that perished, but he didn't have compassion for the people who would perish and live eternity apart from God. Now let's, let's wrap this up. This is a strange way um, to wrap it up. Jonah and Nineveh were the only books in the Bible that ended with a question. And both books had to do with the city of Nineveh. Nahum ended with a question about God's punishment of Nineveh, while Jonah ended with a question about God's pity on Nineveh. This is a strange way to end such a dramatic book. But God has the first word and God has the last word, and that's how it should be. But we aren't told how Jonah answered the final question. Hopefully Jonah repents again and and lives a life to serve the Lord, but we're not told that. But uh one thing we can learn from Jonah is God gives second chances. God loves us no matter where we're at, and God provides. 
And God wants us to do his will. And he'll do things in order for us to do that will. And God loves a person who spreads his message, like we all can do today. So let's go before the Lord and let's pray us out. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the lesson that we find in Jonah, Lord. We pray that we don't have to go to drastic measures. Lord, we pray that, uh, I pray that people will take the easy way and not the hard way, Lord God. We know you get those who are called, Lord, and we know that you put them where you want them to be, Lord. So I just pray that those that are hearing from you, Lord, will, will hear you loud and clear, and they will do what you ask of them, Lord God. And I just thank you again for the staff that's here that allows this to happen, Lord. I thank all the listeners and, and viewers that are out there, Lord. I pray that if they have any prayer requests or if they need anything, they'll go ahead and contact the church, and, and we'd love to help them out, Lord God. And I do thank you for my wife, Lord, who's always there to support me. So in Jesus' name, amen.